Hello, hi, how are you? Thank you. I'm just fine, Reagan. How about yourself? I'm doing all right. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous because I've never actually interviewed anybody before. So since you have been an interviewee, I kind of am hoping you will take the lead on this. I do have questions, but I really have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, well, I wouldn't worry about it. It's all fun. You know, the sun's still going to come up tomorrow, no matter what. So it's all just going to be a lot of fun and we'll have a good time. And that's the main thing. Yes. We'll leave all right. here all feeling a little bit better for the experience. And that's what makes it worthwhile. Exactly. All right. So why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, that way our listeners know who you are. My name is Stephen Murray. And first of all, I'd like to thank the listeners for tuning in. I hope they enjoyed as much as I know that I'm going to. I was originally born in England. I was raised in Southern Africa. And I went back to live in England when I finished school and finally got the offer of a job in California. I came to America and spent 27 years in California and moved to Las Vegas 18 years ago. I've run a very successful computer software company. And in the last 10 years or so, I suddenly got the urge to start writing. Don't ask me where it came from, but I got the urge. And I am now the proud author of four self-published novels in multiple genres, with a fifth hopefully coming out before Christmas. So that, in a nutshell, Reagan, is who I am. Fantastic. Let's see. Okay, so I did read um, the book that you sent me, The Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II. I thought it was fantastic. I loved it. Oh, good. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Don't give the ending away. <laughs> I, I will not. It's not necessarily in my wheelhouse of books that I read. It's a slightly different take on murder mysteries, Reagan, to what your readers might be used to. Mm -hmm. I like to call the murder aboard the Queen Elizabeth II a twofer, because in a lot of murder mystery books, you know right from the outset who's going to get murdered. It happens very early on in the plot. And then... The reader's got to figure out who did it and why. In this book, I wanted to try something different to see if it worked. And as you're aware, the murder takes place almost halfway through the book. You get to meet this motley cast of characters, and they are a motley crew, and they've all yes, got reasons are. for killing each other. And so I thought, I'm going to create something where you meet all these characters, and they all have their different reasons. So hopefully you have fun trying to figure out which one is going to be the victim. And then the second part of the two is, of course, once you know who the victim is, you then get to figure out who done it and why, what was their motive. So um, it seems to have worked. A lot of people seem to have enjoyed that approach. So it was I something did. novel. You know, yes, something I definitely did. Um it was definitely unique in the way that you did that. I really liked the introduction of all of the characters beforehand. So you get that better idea of who they are and why they are the way they are and why what happens in the book happens. Yes. Yes. Well, I'm glad it worked for you. So I was looking at all the awards that you've won. Like, well, that's quite a few. <laughs> Well, the nice thing for any of your readers, uh, sorry, for any of your listeners who happen to be authors, 
um, there's a very, very nice organization called Reader's Favorite, and their website's readersfavorite.com. And when you've printed out, or when you've published a book, you can submit it to them for a free review. And it might take a few months, but sometimes if you're lucky, and I've been very fortunate, if you get five-star ratings, they write you a nice review, they give you a five-star rating, and you can get these little stickers that you can put on your books. And it's great if you're having book signings in places like Barnes & Noble, because then when you hold up your book and they see this little five-star reader's favorite, it adds credibility, especially for self-published authors, because they have no one behind them. You're you're doing all the promoting yourself. You don't have a publisher that's arranging book signings and out there marketing. So um, fortunately, all of four of my books have won the uh, reader's favorite five-star rating. So that's four of the awards <laughs> right there. And um, I have been fortunate that a couple have been picked out. Uh, Murder Aboard the QE2, the one that you read, that was picked out by Las Vegas Book Club and they voted it their book of the month or made it their book of the month so the chapel of eternal love was my first published novel and that's a fictional book by the las vegas wedding chapel that won an award through an organization called authors talk about it they're no longer around but they would have an international book contest every year and you could submit your book and much to my very pleasant and humbling surprise the chapel of eternal love won it in the mainstream fiction category. And what's amazing about it, Reagan, is I never intended to publish that book. Really? I was told to write fiction for women. And I know nothing about women's fiction. I don't read Barbara Cartland or Danielle Steele or any of those female authors. But I was told I had to write for women. And I thought, shucks, I've now got to find what to write about. And I stumbled across uh, Las Vegas Wedding Chapel and thought, hey, why, why are we the marriage capital of the world here? Why does everybody come to Las Vegas to get married? What's their stories? And I came up with a whole book of fictional stories. The, the reader spends a day at the wedding of the Chapel of Eternal Love. You meet all the couples as they come and go and why, what their stories are, why they fall in love, because we all love for different reasons. Much my pleasant surprise, it got published and then went on to win that award. And not only that, it spawned a sequel, returned to the Chapel of Eternal Love. People wanted to know what happened to the couples after they left that chapel altar. So I had to come up with follow-up stories for each of these couples five years down the road. So both the books were never intended. They were never planned. But as you've discovered, you know, life takes you on different journeys and down paths that you never imagined. You probably never imagined you'd be sitting here hosting podcasts and interviewing people. I did not. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about doing the self-publishing thing, why you decided to go that route, what it's like, all of that jazz. Just from what I've observed and what I've learned, the reason why I went self-publishing was... One, apparently, to go through a traditional publisher, you have to write all these query letters. And you can write query letter after query letter after query letter and wait ages for a reply. And I was told that if I did get, if I was accepted by a publisher, 
it could take up to three years before your book sees the light of the bookstore. And I thought, my goodness, I could be dead within three years. <laughs> if I want this to happen, I want it to happen in my lifetime. So that was one of the factors. The other factor was, the other main factor was, I own the rights to all of the books. So if any of them get made in a series or a TV mystery, movie, anything like that, I have a say in it. You know, I don't sacrifice all the rights. And that, in a way, is my hope and dreams for the books, that they will make it into a miniseries or a TV show. The upside, I've just pointed out the upsides. The downsides are you have nobody backing you. You've got to make it happen. You get your books and it's like, now what do I do? You know, you, you've now got to go out and set up your own book signings, find venues. You know, you, you can't just stick to bookstores. You've got to find other venues where you can go and talk and sell your books. Also, there's a huge upfront cost. You've got to pay for the editing. You've got to pay for the cover design. You've got to pay for the typesetting. Uh, you've got to pay for your own website to be designed. So there's a lot of upfront costs. But then after that, everything's yours. You don't just get like $2 a book from the publisher. Whatever you sell is yours. You, you, after you pay for the printing, it's all yours. I have to say it depends on each individual and their own personalities. Um, I found it tough going out marketing at first, but now I enjoy it. I like going to book signings. I like meeting the people at the book signings. I like going and speaking in front of groups like senior centers and talking to the seniors and um, selling the books to them, being on podcasts like this. I kind of enjoy it. It's, it's made it a very fun journey and one oh, that good. I never planned or ever imagined. So <laughs> well, uh, at least uh, anybody it's fun. that's out there writing a book or thinking of getting it published, I hope there's been a few helpful tips for them. I'm glad that it turned into fun and not something miserable that you don't want to do anymore. So, No, and if it ever got that way, the nice thing is I can just give it up and say, you know, it was fun while it lasted. Now it's time to move on and do something else. But as long as I'm enjoying it, I'll continue to do it. And I now put out a, a monthly newsletter with the podcast that I'm going to be on and book signings that I'm having and things like that. And it's, it's a fun journey. It That's really fantastic. Is. Yeah. What? I have questions. They're here somewhere. Oh, are any any of your books, any of the characters, anything based on real life situations, people you know? How did you did you just pull them out of your head? Like, what was the inspiration for any of these? No. Um, all of the books, they are all 100% fiction of the imagination all of them. Murder Aboard the Queen Elizabeth II, what was real about that was, for your listeners, just to give them a little bit of a background, it's it's a book about a very, very wealthy couple that live in Beverly Hills, California. Uh, he's a music mogul, that's where they made their money, and he's celebrating his silver wedding anniversary, he and his wife, and they take their friends and family on the QE2, celebrate and as they come back one of the party gets bumped off and the the murder has to be solved before the ship docks in new york otherwise the parties all scatter 
originally that was set in Beverly Hills and um, in my mind, but I don't know much about the Beverly Hills lifestyle, unfortunately. So I had have had the good fortune of traveling on the Queen Elizabeth II from London to New York. So I thought, you know what, I'll move their celebration to the Queen Elizabeth II. So I used a lot of the reality of the QE2, um, the names of the restaurants and the names of the stores that were on the shop and the names of the suites and things like that that I could remember. But other than that, everything is, all the characters are fictional um, in all four of them. There's no real, I don't do any such research. I just make the characters up and make up the stories. And the Chapel of Eternal Love, I did actually have reason to go to a wedding chapel, not for myself to get married. I had some out-of-town visitors that wanted to go and visit one. And we met a couple. And that was before I figured out what to write for my female fiction. After I dropped the couple back at their hotel, they were business clients. I was driving home and I thought, I wonder why people come to Las Vegas. And I thought, that's my book. By the time I got home, all those stories had just flooded in my mind, Reagan. Don't ask me where in the world they came from. They just flooded into my mind. And I went straight to the computer and I thought, I've got to put down these outlines because so I don't forget them by tomorrow. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then, um, so that's how that book came about. I just took each of the sort of broad outlines and then just developed them and turned it into a novel. I like, I like it. It just shows a whole lot of creativity when people just can pluck things out of their brain and put them on paper instead of doing a lot of research, which don't get me wrong, that's also fantastic. It takes a lot of work, but I think for me, it's just fascinating when people are just like, boom, I got it right here. It's in my head. It's going on the paper. <laughs> well, it's, I, I think everybody writes, I think, for different reasons. And for me, it has to be a challenge. You know, the last book that was published, Discreetly Yours, it's about three very classy, elegant, sophisticated ladies who work for a very exclusive escort agency in Las Vegas. And as classy as they are, the gentleman that runs it, and I, I shouldn't say gentleman because he's a crumb, he treats them like dirt. Mm. And ultimately, they decide they've had enough. And they come up with a perfect crime to get rid of him. Awesome. So I'll say outright from the outset, I did no research on this book. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally 100% imagination. But that was tough because I've now got to get inside the minds, not only of three women that want to kill somebody, that's not easy anyway to get, but to also get in minds of the women themselves and the fact that they're escorts. And so that was specifically, it was very, very challenging to write that book and come up with three very different, definite female characters to make the book realistic. And they've all got different motives for getting rid of the guy, but they connive and they plot and they plan and you stick with them all through the planning and the plotting and you actually go through the whole execution of the murder with them and then them living with the consequences of their actions. And the mystery is, do they get away with it or don't they? And do you want them to get away with it? Even though it's murder, they kill somebody. 
did they did that guy deserve to get killed you know that's so that's the question and there's lots of twists and turns that push it back and forth that sounds fun too i i want to read that well i'm just going to read them all like <laughs> <laughs> but they are all fun easy reads and for any in your listening audience there that are our readers i have to say even though discreetly yours is about an escort agency there's no graphic sex in it or or expletives or any gra overly graphic violence they're pretty pure fun simple reads and in fact even discreetly yours you could give to your grandmother to read in fact i know somebody who did give it to their grandmother to read and she thoroughly <laughs> enjoyed it so <laughs> i did like that about the uh murder aboard qe2 uh, is that there wasn't overly graphic anything. There were, you know, suggested things, but... It's implied and suggested. You know what, Reagan? I, I went to a little town in Nevada called Mesquite. They have a murder mystery book club there and in the library, and they'd all read the book, but they asked me if I would go out and just talk about it and answer questions. And one of the attendees came up with a very interesting comment that kind of stuck with me. She said, I like the fact that there was suggested sex and relationships. It was implied, but it wasn't forced on us. It allowed us to use our own imaginations as to how far that romance went or that night in bed, what they did and where they went. It wasn't pushed on us. We were allowed to use our imaginations and they liked that. And I thought that was an interesting concept that, you know, from a reader's viewpoint, they don't like to be force-fed things always. They like to be able to use their own imagination sometimes. Mm -hmm. And I think point. when it comes to, especially things like that, sometimes writers, even television, it just, it gets a little much. And sometimes I like to feel like my characters have these private moments, the characters that I'm reading about, have these private moments that you don't get to know about, but you know they happened. So I do like that there's that whole privacy aspect because sometimes I feel as though I'm intruding on something I shouldn't be reading about or seeing, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> Why do you pick the specific subjects that you do? I mean, I guess they're not specific. They're pretty, pretty all over. I don't find that in many authors where they're choosing different genres of things. I stumbled across the writing about the chapter of Eternal Love. I explained how that came about because I was told to write fiction for women. My very first book, which is still unpublished, was a biography of my travels. You know, I've traveled to 40 countries and I thought it would be nice to put down these experiences and the, about the cultures and the different places and the different customs and way of life and what have you. I spent two years writing that and that's what I took to get published. But I was told people don't buy that kind of thing. If you want to write, you've got to write for women. So I switched gears. As I was writing The Chapel of Eternal Love, my business partner and I decided to have a dinner party for our clients. And my business partner said, I'd like to do something different. Let's make it a murder mystery dinner. And you know, you can get those little box games with different characters. I said, well, I think those are too complicated. I said, if you want to have the murder mystery, I said, you do it. And he said, well, you're the writer, you write it. 
So I did, and I wrote up this little story about this couple in Beverly Hills celebrating their silver wedding anniversary. And it took place at their mansion, but it was just a little short story. And then once I found out I didn't necessarily have to write for women, that there are self-published authors out there that are writing other things, I'd never met any authors up until this time. So I then thought, after the chapel, I finished the chapel book, I thought, I want to elaborate that story about the Beverly Hills couple, but move it to QE2. So that's how that came about. And then discreetly yours of the crime fiction, that came about. I'll reveal a bit of a secret here now that one of the chapters in the Chapel of Eternal Love is about a female, she runs an escort agency in Las Vegas and she makes the mistake of falling in love with one of her clients. And he's and not going list. to get married. He wants to stay <laughs> with his wife and watch the children go up and go through college and what have you. And then he'll divorce and marry her. So she puts her whole life on hold because she loves him so much. And then he finally gets divorced. And I thought this character is not going to be popular with female readers, because especially the married ones, because especially if they know that their husbands are cheating on them. So I want to paint her, her name's Emmy, I want to paint her in this sympathetic light. So I left her standing at the altar. He was a no-show on the day, and she's all there in her wedding outfit with her little bouquet of flowers, and she's left high and dry. Well, Regan, I have to tell you, the number of emails I got, what happened to Emmy? What oh. happened to Emmy? Did she ever find happiness? Did she find somebody else? And people asked about a lot of the other characters in the book, but by far and away, more people asked about Emmy than any of the other chapters. And that's kind of what prompted the sequel. And they were so sympathetic to Emmy, the fact that she was stood up, I thought, I want to take this one step further. And what if I come up with a book where there are three women involved in an escort agency and they actually kill somebody? Are they going to evoke the same amount of sympathy? So that's what prompted the last book. There's always something that just triggers. There's, there's like a catalyst, something that happens that just triggers the next book. And that's really the cool. one that's coming out shortly, hopefully before the end of the year, it's a Christmas novel. <laughs> People say, how do you go from writing about escorts yeah. murdering somebody to a Christmas novel? <laughs> that, well, that was going to be my next question. <laughs> <laughs> well, Discreetly Yours was published in July of 2019, and I'd spent two years writing it. And I was kind of wiped out from writing about the sin side of Las Vegas all this undercurrent and the, the seamy side and, and murder and what have you. And I happened to be laid in bed one night and I was just flicking channels and it was in July and I happened to fall on Hallmark and they were having their Christmas in July. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hallmark. And I thought, you know what? Maybe that's what I should write next. A nice, warm, fuzzy Christmas book. So that's the next novel. It's just a warm, fuzzy, feel-good Christmas book. And it's in being edited right now. Uh, the cover design's being worked on, and I'm hoping to have it out certainly in time for this Christmas. But 
we we never know, Reagan, what's going to be the catalyst that we're going to see, or somebody's going to say something, or we'll be at an event and we think, my goodness, wouldn't that be a great story? We never know. I think that's, I think that's a lovely change of pace, though. It always I always wonder about authors who stick with this crime scene or true crime genre or well i guess it wouldn't be true crime <laughs> the crime genre or the murder mysteries i always wonder if that takes a toll on them to sit there and do that it's nice to hear that you know you're like oh i'm i'm definitely need a break from this so let's write something fuzzy and nice and clear your brain <laughs> of all that <laughs> well you you know that the experts tell you that you should stick with one genre. People like to see a series, and I believe that. You think of things like the Harry Potter series, and even before that, you think of Agatha Christie and, and Miss Marple and Hercule Poirot and her detectives. You know, they develop their own following and their own characters. So they say your, your books do have a better chance of success if you stick with one genre you get known for it and then people are going to follow you because they like your style and they like paranormal or the crime fiction or whatever. But um, I'm not doing it for a livelihood. I'm doing it for fun and a hobby. And so I'm writing what I feel comfortable writing, what I feel like putting out there. And I think a lot of people, they also like, they go for a style, you know, a writing style. Mm -hmm. And not everybody's going to like it. But I found that people that have liked the chapel books have tended to have gone back and bought the other books. Or if somebody's bought Discreetly Yours or Murder Aboard the QE2, they like that style and they say, well, we're going to go out and get the other books, even though it's not in the same genre. You know, a lot of yeah. people do that. So. Uh, yeah, I think that does afford you uh, that you are doing it for a hobby instead of a livelihood. I think that definitely affords you amount of freedom that a lot of authors aren't going to get. That, that's definitely true. There's definitely truth in that. Or you're never under any deadlines or pressures, you know. Uh, you're, yes, you're pressurized by your, your readers and your audience. Hey, when's the next book coming out? When's it coming out? But right. that's another one advantage of being self-published over as opposed to a publisher. You know, the publisher, as soon as you've got the one book out and if it's a hit, it's you, you've got to get your next book out within 60 days, 90 days. Oh, mine, a two-year project. You know, 60 days, 90? Wow. What? No, I was using that. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it's like, I'm sorry. They, they do put you under under deadlines. You know, they, they expect the next book to be out within a certain time. And if you meet authors that are doing it professionally, they're always saying, oh, I'm working against the gun. And I mean, look at, look, look at um, what, what was the name on that murder she wrote, Jessica Fletcher, that TV series. She was always under the gun with her publisher, you know. <laughs> I've got to get home and finish the next chapter and what have you. So I this know seems very stressful. Not conducive to the creative process personally, but <laughs> I don't perform well under stress or pressure. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's just me. Like I just that's just not how I do things. <laughs> But, you know, well, writers do things differently. When the chapel first came out and I went to my first book signing, it was a library and they had a panel discussion. And I've always been a very disciplined author, you know. I, I try and sit down on Saturday afternoons when the office phones don't ring. Most of my clients are Monday through Friday. I can sit in the office and 
write my next chapter. And during the week, as I'm shopping and going to the bank or to the post office, wherever, I'm formulating in my head what's going to be in the next chapter. But this first book signing I went to where there was a panel discussion, this one lady author, she was sitting there and she was asked about writing styles and she said, you know, she said, I can go to bed and all of a sudden at one o'clock in the morning I wake up and I shoot out of bed and I go straight to the computer and I go and put some coffee on and the next thing I've written for 12 hours straight and I thought, oh my goodness, that's not me at all. <laughs> Nothing wakes me up at one o'clock in the morning, no inspiration. Um, but everybody works and writes different ways, different times. I tend to be more disciplined but others have to write when the mood takes them. And they talk about the thing called writer's block. You know, their imagination just goes dry. Some people suffer from that. Fortunately, I don't. (laughs) That's always a plus. Yes, it's always a plus. (laughs) I hear that's awful. I, I make, I do a lot of photography myself. So I do know that feeling where you're very stagnant and can't think of something new to do. So, Mm -hmm. and it, it, sucks (laughs) yes 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 it's sometimes it's hard like i've now got now that i've finished this christmas book i've now got to start coming up with something else and right now nothing's come to me um the inspiration hasn't been there but i know once it hits me all this stuff will start flowing around in my mind I'll, i'll be at that computer and just tapping away uh, when I can find the time, but there has to be something that triggers me and makes it happen. Definitely, maybe a, another Hallmark show. <laughs> I hope. Well, I'm hoping that um, I do do book signings at Hallmark. Not recently, obviously, because of COVID. But up until right. COVID, yes, uh, they would have me in Hallmark signing books quite often, especially around Mother's Day and. Valentine's Day and things like that um, because people are looking for gifts for their moms or their wives or their girlfriends or whatever. So yes, they, they would have me in and I'm still hoping that certainly the two chapel books would make great miniseries. You know, there's 20 stories mm-hmm. in the first that would chapel be, book. That would be fun. Definitely. It would be. It would be. It would be fun if I could define who, who would be the actors and actresses to Oh yeah, but I don't don't think I will have any say in that. I'm sure <laughs> the TV company will, if it ever happens, will say you forfeit all rights to casting and things like that. I'm <laughs> sure, but um, if it just gets there, that would be nice. But if it doesn't happen, not the end of the world, right? Um, let's see. We've kind of really covered all of the things that I was going to ask, just in general conversation. That's good. Do you plan on writing any books or yourself? I, no, I do. I am definitely not a uh, writing type. I used to write poetry for a while, but that was never really going anywhere. It was just more for a stress relief kind of thing. My roommate, however, she is in the process of writing a book. So, yes. yeah, she's been doing it for a while. I think if there's any of your listeners who are thinking of writing a book, a lot of people say, Oh, you know, I could, but I don't know if I could ever get it published and things like that. You know, I would just say, don't give up on your dream. If you believe in it, you know, f- follow it. 
my mis if I had a mistake, certainly in the early days, it was not believing in the chapter of eternal love. I didn't think it was worth publishing, but the company that helped me self-publish, they said it was, and they kind of pushed me into it. And I ummed and because of the expense. And I thought, well, you know, what if it just flops? And I've put all this money out. And I thought, you know what, it's only money. And at the end of the day, it would just be nice to see something that you've created out there. And so I would say to your friend, if she's thinking about it, just go ahead and pursue the dream, make it happen. It will be a journey that she'll go on an incredible journey. It's, it's taken me on an incredible journey. It sounds um, like it. I would certainly go for it. And um, don't let anybody put you off or dissuade you. But that probably applies, Reagan, to anything in life, you think? you know? Oh, like, absolutely. You, you, you have to believe in yourself and your, you know the power to put yourself out there and put yourself forward. And certainly don't get put off by negative comments. And not everybody's going to like what you put out. You know, that's why we have menus in restaurants. Mm -hmm. People like different things and they're not all meant to like the same thing. So it's good to have those choices. But I certainly don't regret the journey. I'll probably still go back one of these days and revisit my book on my travels. That would be something that, they all, you know what, Rain? They always hmm. say write about what you know. And I write about what I knew, my travels and my own personal experience. And it's still sitting there in the computer 10 years later. <laughs> And so I land up writing what I don't know about, you know, wedding chapels, escort agencies, murders of people living in deadly hills <laughs> and what have you. <laughs> I guess that's what's, what's good about having an imagination, you know. We're given mm -hmm. an imagination to use, and I guess we should use it to absolutely to the extent we can. It certainly is tough, I think, for a male to write for female. I can't speak for other male authors, but I have to tell you that trying to get in the minds of women for a man is very, very hard. For me, it was very, very hard. It always makes me wonder how the authors, especially if it's a female writing a male character and vice versa, how they work through that in their mind. I did have the benefit, and this should be something that all your authors and your listening audience should think about, is I was fortunate just before I started writing The Chapter of Eternal Love, getting in what we call a writer's critique group. And oh. I hope your friend gets involved in one of those. You can always do a Google search in that area or go to the library, find out if any meet there. But there was four of us in it. We rotate homes and we each take something that we've written and we have copies for everybody. I'll start, for example, and I'll read my piece out aloud. The other three will follow with their printed copies. They'll make grammar corrections, spelling corrections. And then afterwards, they'll critique it, not negatively, but positively. You know, They'll say if they see a defect in the story, but the overall idea is to support and encourage. And if there's something wrong, you say it. But you don't say it in a mean-spirited, vicious way. You say it in a constructive right. way, you know, that's helpful. Nobody learns anything that way. No, but these these three women, I mean, in the group that I'm in, they were incredible. I couldn't have got the chapel book out there without them because, you know, I wrote these stories and they, they'd say to me, you know, well, what's the bride wearing? And I'd say, who cares what she's wearing? That's not what the story's about. The story's 
why have they come to Las Vegas? What made them fall in love? What's their unique romantic story, mm -hmm. their love story? Who cares what they're wearing? They say, well, if you're writing for women, women will want to know those things. So I have to go back to the drawing board. And so men are just wired differently from women. And for me, it was, I learned an incredible amount, I can tell you. I'll bet, and I'll I bet. have to wonder sometimes whether women have the same issue writing male characters in their books. I, I, I suppose I should ask my critique group that at some stage. I, you know, I think they would just because it's not your mindset. It's not, it's not how uh, they think. So one would, I at least assume that it would be a difficult task for them to get into male character mindsets to write things. I would, I would think so. It's, it seems the women in the group, when I'm reading their works along with them, they seem to have their male characters pretty well defined. And the dialogue all seems very credible. I don't know, maybe women are just more intuitive and read things differently. I, who knows? But we are definitely wired differently. <laughs> there's, there's no question about that. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, the, the chapel book, which was the first one, that was a challenge because, as I said, each chapter is a different story with a different couple. So there was at least two people in every chapter. You know, sometimes there were supporting characters and what have you. But that's an awful lot of characters in one book. And for my first published work of fiction, that was quite an undertaking because... I'll bet. You land up, Reagan, just breathing these characters. They're living inside of you. And you've got to make sure that you don't get them all jumbled up. And when you've got at least <laughs> yeah. 40 characters in one book, all with their own sort of major roles, if you will, that's a lot of characters to be carrying around <laughs> with you all the time. <laughs> that definitely sounds like a huge undertaking for especially a first novel. Yes, it, it probably isn't for natural-born authors, you know, um, oh, like the Daniel Stills of this world, the Stephen Kings and John Grishams and people like that. You know, they're naturally-born, talented authors that, that have developed a craft over a period of years and decades. But certainly for me as a, as a novelist, <laughs> right. it was quite a huge undertaking. But, you know, fools rush in where wise men fear to tread. Isn't that what they say? I, I do believe so, yes. <laughs> Sounds like you took that one to heart. <laughs> yes. And I say it before anybody else gets a chance to say it too, so it doesn't sound quite so bad. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was lovely talking to you. Uh, do you have any, any parting words for any listeners, would-be authors, anybody? Sure. As I mentioned earlier, I would just say, if it's in your heart, go for it. You know, make it happen and let the chips fall where they may. And it doesn't matter how well it sells. It's a journey that makes it interesting. And that's what's going to make it beneficial. Certainly, if anybody's interested in learning anything more about my books, I have an author website. Each of the books has its own website, but they can all be reached by going through my author website, and that's author Stephen Murray. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N Murray at... Oh, forgotten. 
I'll put or, the link. <laughs> ah, I'll put the link up there. AugustStephenMurray.com. Duh. <laughs> My mind just went blank there. There's all this thinking, this heavy duty thinking. <laughs> www.authorstephenmurray.com. I was getting confused with emails and I thought, well, what's my at? Authorstephenmurray.com. <laughs> they are on Amazon. They're available on Kindle. And in any bookstore, they're available. Uh, if they don't have it in stock, it can be ordered anywhere in the world, any, through any bookstore in the world. It's distributed through Ingram Spark, the international distributor so anybody can go and order a book or they can order them through my website if they want signed copies to make as gifts or things like that and um, i do put out a monthly newsletter where stating the podcast i'm going to be on the book signings i'm having presentations things like that there's a link which gives my email address they can just email me and say can i be added to your work newsletter list and also, if there are any authors out there, if they have any questions, I'll be more than happy to, if they're listeners of your show, I'll be more than happy to answer their questions. And they just need to put Reagan sent me. All right. <laughs> and I'll be sure and answer it as best oh, I good, can. Good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time to talk to me and do this, do this interview, this episode. No, I th thank you for having me on your program, Reagan, and being one of the, uh, the first authors on your show. And as I said, I hope your listeners enjoyed it as much as I have. I hope they do too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you have a wonderful day. And you stay safe. And I wish you every success with your podcast show, Reagan. I think you're going to do just great. Just great. Thank you. Just make it happen. Thank you. Stay safe. Take care now. Yes, you too. Bye. Bye.